0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and somewhere in Texas, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. You know, when I'm down here in Texas, I love to play the local artists, you know, Scott Travis, Beyonce, and do you know that one Beyonce song where she's like name-checking all the different demographics, like as she goes, it's like, this is for the 20-somethings, this is for the 30-somethings, like she hits every single
0: core demographic. I have no idea what you're talking about, but go with it. Perfect. So
1: (laughs) the people out there are going to know what I'm talking about. It's a pretty famous song. Anyway, this podcast right here, Andrew, it's for you and it's for Team Sharp. And look, I think our last podcast, we didn't really reveal to the world, but that was take two. We actually did one podcast (laughs) where you and I got into basically 90 minutes of real arguments, not fake podcast arguments. And we had to regroup Uh and retape the whole thing. And, you know, along the way, I think we sort of came to a resolution where you decided to own some of the things that had been happening, whether it was the Celtics struggles and, you know, the Houston Rockets playing pretty well and so forth, just for the sake of us being able to get a podcast done. And I really appreciated that, frankly. I thought that was very big of you because uh, oftentimes I have a hard time uh, when we we get to an impasse of of backing down or of giving an inch. But I want you to know... Uh, the basketball gods are on your side because as soon as we finished that podcast, they subjected me to probably the 72 worst hours of travel experience that I have ever <laughs> endured in my life. It was a classic case where I was lecturing about composure last week, never get too high, never to get too low and all that. And I was really feeling myself, oh, Kyrie, soda basketball, soda commercial basketball and all that. Yeah. And I dealt with the two worst words in travel twice uh in the last three days those words are ground stop where they just shut the airport down they're like no we're closed for business sorry like you know check back some other day
0: yeah so good luck see you at 5 a.m tomorrow morning exactly
1: right so that happened going to golden state and now coming back uh, to houston they just decided not even to take the plane to houston they actually dropped everybody in austin and said hey we'll get you a bus if you want one so rather than taking a bus with 200 strangers i decided you know what let's uh let's get this courtyard life going let's check in with Andrew see what he has to talk about and let's let all of his little sycophants who I'm sure are sick of me you know with my old man takes <laughs> let them know that I bleed just like they bleed I experience pain just like they experience pain and look guys it has been a rough 72 hours so no promises on the coherence of this one
0: Yeah, uh, no promises for me either because it's been a tumultuous travel schedule. I have to turn around and go to Toronto on Friday, I believe. I'm in Philadelphia right now. I'm glad you brought up our lost podcast, though, because one day perhaps we can release that one. It was pretty feisty at one point. You were reading one set of hardened numbers from the playoffs, and I was reading a different set of shooting percentages, and it was just... Look, fa- I, facts matter. We were matter. openly okay. cursing at each other. <laughs> it was pretty great. <laughs> facts matter,
1: Andrew. That's all I can say. And I, I left out one of the key details in the middle of all of this craziness, you know, getting stuck going there, getting stuck coming back. I was in California Mm -hmm. for like 18 hours, and the only thing that happened there was Kevin Durant, like the one guy who I legitimately stand for in the entire league, goes down with what appeared at the time to be a season-ending injury, and thankfully it wasn't. It was just a right calf strain, not an Achilles injury, but that's what I mean about the basketball gods. They were trying to humble me, Andrew. They were saying, look, you might have won three or four debates in the podcast that will never be aired. But just remember, uh-huh. you're not actually winning in the bigger game called life. Uh, if, if your opponent or if you're the person you're debating with doesn't, you can't w- uh, walk away with a smile on their face, you've actually <laughs> lost. That was the lesson that I took from this week, Andrew.
0: Oh, boy. You know what? We're going to return to Rockets Warriors in a minute. Are you in Houston right now? I saw you got detoured through Austin. Where are you?
1: Yeah, no, you just did not listen to the story that I just told. I'm in Austin in a hotel room (laughs) because they were going to try to bus people to Houston and I wasn't trying to take like a a midnight bus. I mean, I could have probably tried to record this in the back of the bus and be the most annoying person. But look, I already had a meltdown on the plane because I lost my glasses. And it's not like I'm blind without them, but I, we were sitting there on the tarmac for like an hour and a half. And I basically made everybody in the row in front of me and everybody in the row behind me try to search for my glasses because I just could not find them. And somehow after like 20 minutes of like tearing up the emergency exit row seats that are like flotation devices, like pulling them off the chair, trying to find my glasses, the lady next to me just like pulls them out of absolutely nowhere. So thankfully I can see, thankfully I didn't have a panic attack uh, on the airplane. Uh, but like, this is what, no, this is what we're dealing You're with. You're just this having is, a day right yeah, here. Yeah, this it's is great. the sacrifice is <laughs> what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah. And now you're keeping Austin weird. Congratulations. En- enjoy some breakfast tacos tomorrow morning, Um, some veggie breakfast tacos. Uh, But with that, Ben, let's move to Sixers Raptors, since we did not discuss that series at all on the podcast, on either one of our podcasts earlier this week. Uh, And we'll start here. And for with good reason. This- I mean, these teams are, are they both frauds, Andrew? Come on. Um, yeah, I I might be leaning that way. Christine says, Ben, I'm watching Get Up on ESPN right now, and Charles Barkley is video chatting in for this Sixers segment, and his first comment regarding Joel Embiid is, the best ability is availability. I always knew Chuck was an Open Floor Globe member. And Ben, I want to start here because... I think you should pat yourself on the back or maybe lash yourself on the back because (laughs) really, like, availability is the best ability is not a a phrase that I had ever heard in the mainstream media until a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. It was really something like the the type of wisdom that is typically confined to, like, a JV basketball locker room. But here we are now, and I have heard this phrase used probably – 10 to 20 to 30 times over the last couple weeks among people discussing Joel Embiid. So I think you deserve a lot of credit for bringing this to the forefront. And then I I, I think we also have to give credit to, to uh, Joel Embiid for popularizing the term. Well,
1: what can I say, Andrew? Look. uh, Influencing the influencers. That's sort of my mentality. And I said earlier, you know, kind of quoting Beyonce that this one was for Team Sharp. This one is also for all those middle school basketball coaches with khaki shorts and their own whistles. Okay. I keep it real for that demographic. Those guys who are just devoting their whole weekends, you know, eight hour tournaments, bussing around kids who are never actually going to be playing AAU basketball (laughs) and just, you know, (laughs) doing it for the love of the game. Nothing but respect.
0: There you go. I love that this podcast is just going to be complete gibberish tonight. (laughs) Um, Oh, so now you're just going to give me some
1: warning shots. Look, first of all, Christine, thank you very much for emailing in. We haven't said recently how much we appreciate hearing from female listeners, but it is really nice that you uh, noted that. I have heard that phrase pop up with regard to Embiid here on multiple different podcasts in various places over the last week, and it goes back to a conversation we had right at the start of the playoffs where I think I asked you, is Embiid really a 16-game player? you know if you're going to have mm-hmm. to go through game after game after game the matchup stuff you know the heavy minutes toll uh you know every you know going on the road difficult environments and all that stuff does he still need to prove that he's on that level and i know they just forced a game 7 you're probably riding high cuz you were there in person i'm sure the crowd was was loving kind of the blowout nature of that victory and you know the the quick turnaround from you know what it was a really ugly game 5 for them i'm still not convinced he's a 16 game player
0: Yeah, I mean, that's sort of where I am right now. It's like, you look at this series. When Embiid plays well, the Sixers are just better than the Raptors. Um, But going into Game 7, I wonder whether we can trust Embiid and whether we can trust Simmons. I do think that it's appropriate that in this sort of matchup that is – being treated as like a litmus test for whether any of this was a good idea this season, it will ultimately come down to the two guys who are supposed to be like the cornerstone of the whole thing. And that's Embiid, that's Simmons. Simmons was great tonight as well after like totally sucking for two games. Uh, But he... That's another
1: guy who's not a 16-game player either. I mean, let's just be real.
0: Well, yeah, and I I don't know because like when he sets the pace and and is getting out in, in transition, like it allows philly to kind of impose its will on whoever they're playing you know what and that's what happened tonight where basically like simmons was getting wherever he wanted to go and when he gets to the rim they become a lot more dangerous and then mb defensively was just all over the place and it literally like he finished plus 40 on the night and plus minus can be kind of distorted at times but like basically whenever he was on the floor the sixers were just much much better. Yeah, guys um, like
1: you are hilarious. You never want to give uh, one game plus minus any meaning until you want to use it to reinforce a
0: point. I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't really trust that stat in general, but I think it does sort of tell the truth on this one. Uh, Embiid was really important, and the Sixers. like I really don't know what to make of them at this point uh the crowd tonight have you ever been to a Sixers game like a big Sixers game
1: uh the last Sixers game I went to I was actually in college I made a pilgrimage to go see Allen Iverson I want to say he had like 30 plus and probably very inefficient manner and there was a Mm. sideline brawl Uh, not like a crazy brawl but just one that like spilled over into the stands so I got the
0: full experience let's put it that way (laughs) there you go I wish I could have been there we were because you went to college in Baltimore I was probably in DC at the time I could have made that pilgrimage with you open floor like 15 years I don't know dude Um, you were
1: probably still in high school grounded for that road trip you took to University (laughs) of North Carolina maybe your parents wouldn't let you come you know
0: Yeah, I don't know. What might have been? Um, All of which is to say, though, tonight, like, that was one of the loudest stadiums I have ever been in, and that's for a second-round playoff game. Um, Like, literally walking off the court at halftime with your colleague, Candice Buckner, like, I could feel like my ears popping. It was like the feeling you have when you walk out of a rock concert. Um, And I think part of that is, like, the PA announcer and the the sound system in there is, like, blasting the entire game. But uh, the fans were into it, too. Wait, and that- so if you're
1: going to compare it, like, was it louder when the Wizards fans cheer for chicken sandwiches? Or was it louder <laughs> for a Game 6 victory by the Sixers? Well, like, which one, A or B? It-
0: it was a little bit louder in Philadelphia. And my sincere takeaway from that experience is that as much as we kind of hem and haw and hand ring over the process and whether it's worked and whether it's literally like fulfilled all the promise and whatnot, like the one thing you have to concede is that it has created a crazy amount of interest in this team. And the fans in the city have like responded to the Sixers in a huge way which wasn't always guaranteed when you go back to how dark some of those years were under Hanke when it was like Henry Sims and Michael Carter Williams and Nerland's Noel on the sideline in street clothes. But um, it's, it really is kind of surreal to think about how much that experience has changed in, in, in that stadium. So that's number one. Number two, if we're really talking about what the Sixers can do and whether we trust them in game seven, I just have no idea. I think like, you, you said it at the top. Like I do feel like both of these teams have been kind of exposed as a little bit underwhelming in this round. Um, but the Sixers, when it all clicks, they look just awesome. They just overpower teams like the, a version of the old Thunder teams in 2011 and 2012 where they're just like, so much bigger and faster that there's nothing anybody can do.
1: Okay. I have a couple questions. Because uh, you mentioned the takesman earlier, Charles Barkley. It was very nice for him, you know, real, recognized, real. Takesman's recognized, takesman. I'm, I'm glad he's quoting <laughs> me. um Yeah. He had some really harsh words for Embiid uh, during, I guess, game five, where he was basically saying, hey, you're acting sick, or you're, you know, you're all you know, like walking around, you know, just very upset and dragging and it's kind of rubbing off on your teammates and then they were really mm-hmm. mad that he was looking at the box score late in that game which I don't get that criticism uh, at all but you were on the ground and you know you got probably had your fedora hat on and you're doing your, your little notebook reporting and everything else <laughs> is he sick like is what is happening like what's what's your um, take on the sick gate
0: well, first of all, you mentioned Fedora. In the front row of the Sixers game, there was Zach Ertz, who I mistakenly identified as Carson Wentz, and he was rocking a Fedora. It was kind of like a douchey, off brand Channing Tatum look. What? I
1: don't know who either one of those people are. <laughs>
0: All right, they're football players, um, but that's what fedora made me think of. I was not wearing a fedora, and I have no idea what's going on with Embiid. His health is just, it's like the fact that he's had two separate, he had gastroenteritis, um, which I guess is just diarrhea, and then he had the upper respiratory stuff, he's had the knee stuff. And I don't know what's really going on, because literally before almost every Sixers game, there's always something. And with him, uh, this is always going to be a question. We know that. But you, it does make me go back and wonder, like, why was he playing so much at the beginning of the season? And is his body just kind of, like, giving up? And I maybe it's unfair to kind of connect the two, because people get sick. People get, like upper respiratory infections all the time but it's just kind of crazy that it keeps happening to him
1: yeah i mean people don't usually get sick three separate times in a 10-day period especially when they're nba players and they're like pretty much isolated from the outside world for most of their lives you know what i mean it's not like it's Mm -hmm. december when everybody catches the same flu bug goes around the locker room and everybody's sick like that's pretty rare um, and to have it multiple times, it's just it was strange. That's why I kind of asked, like I didn't know what the the deal was. I mean, he's been really up and down. I mean, he had that amazing game in the middle of the series, thirty three ten and five, and you're thinking just like, oh okay, like he must be fine. Like then he gets sick again. It, it was just weird. But I am not here at all, by the way, for the sick shaming takes. You know, from Barkley and Shaq trying to say, oh you got to man up and and like push through it. If a guy is sick, a guy's sick, and I don't I think that should be off limits. Mostly I say that because I'm a huge wimp when I get sick and I can't do anything when I'm sick and like I'll deny that I'm sick. I'll pretend that I have allergies. I'll do whatever I can (laughs) to like avoid admitting to myself that I'm sick because as soon as I admit it, then I just shut down, you know, I might as well well just be looking at the box score in the fourth quarter because I'm just mentally checked out.
0: Yes, and it's. I've tried podcasting with you in the past when you have claimed to have had allergies and then (laughs) had to stop and cough and sneeze every 30 (laughs) seconds. It was not our finest work. Um, But as far as Embiid is concerned, I understand we're not here to, like, sick shame, but I would also say that, like, Alarm bells have been set off to where, like, I'm curious whether there's a real story that we have not been told yet and that may come to light whenever this Sixers playoff run ends. And, I mean, the one thing you have to say, though, is that when those guys show up, they are the better team. And uh, and that's got to be encouraging if you're a Sixers fan because, like. Oh, yeah. Real encouraging. Just... <laughs> come on, man. Like, they
1: don't always show up. <laughs> like, the only guy well... who's really showed up consistently is Jimmy
0: Butler, right? Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler's been fantastic, and he deserves a lot of credit too because we, I think both you and I, all year long, and even like through the first round of the playoffs after game one, I came on and was just like, this guy is getting completely upstaged by Kawhi. And he has responded by being great basically every game. I think tonight he had 25. seven and six no it's like the exact opposite
1: of the contract push from tobias harris you know like jimmy's out there like give him every dollar tobias harris is like just let him disappear we don't care like whatever happens to
0: him hey the tobias trade has not aged well (laughs) and look and the funny thing is is like i'm not even sure this is like a healthy turn of events for the sixers because as great as jimmy butler is they the like Elton Brand and the owners may turn around and be like you know what we should give him 160 million and commit the next 4 or 5 years to him and like that decision could easily backfire whereas Tobias is marginalized now and they may decide to let him walk and but I'm I'm not sure how much flexibility they have to like add anyone outside of Tobias and I the, like, the, the future here is still super complicated. Yeah, no question, but,
1: but don't you think the worst-case scenario was paying both of them? So if Jimmy, like, earns all of his money and Tobias just kind of, you know, slinks off to the side, when you have to have egg on your face for making a horrible Tobias Harris trade, at least your answer would be like, hey, everybody, watch, like, a month's straight worth of Jimmy Butler playoff highlights and, like, distract yourself from the fact that we j- just gave up multiple picks in Landry Shamit for, you know, two months of a pretty underwhelming stretch for... Hey, can you walk me through the scene inside the building when Butler just rips Kawhi Leonard at the end of the first half, just like completely picks his pocket and goes in for that kind of like flying layup, just barely getting it in with, I think, I think like 4.4 seconds left uh, before halftime. Like I have to imagine the crowd was just wild.
0: Yeah, I mean that's when it felt like the building was shaking, and I'm walking off the floor with Candace Buckner, being like, "Are we like at a concert? <laughs> like, where? What is happening right now?" Uh, it was insane, and that's the kind of thing that makes Jimmy pretty special. Like he he has been able to set the tone in this series in a way that nobody else was gonna be able to do, and he's been able to kind of like provide a baseline of competence. That has made the Sixers pretty tough to beat, and I've been I've been impressed because he literally, like the dude was kind of marginalized all season, and it's actually kind of the opposite of Kyrie, where Kyrie kept talking about the playoffs and and showed up and just like had the worst week of his life. Whereas Jimmy, we kept hearing like he's gonna be the closer, he's the adult in the room, he's the guy who's gonna hold them down come play James time. Butler. And he's kind of delivering, which like credit to him as much as the basketball internet has shit all over him and said, you're going to be like, whoever signs you is going to be making a huge mistake. He has been really impressive.
1: No, that was really well said. Uh, No doubt about it. Hey, one other question on the crowd. I know I'm going back to it, but you were just there. So I figured I'd pick your brain. Did Ben Simmons's rant about, Hey, if you're not with us, like, you know, don't like if you're going to boo us, just like, don't show up or whatever. Did that whole thing work? like do do they cheer him in other words like he had a pretty good game right like are they do they like him in philadelphia or is he as polarizing there as he is on twitter
0: um i was talking to a friend who's a sixers fan before we came on this podcast i think simmons does have like his little faction of stands in philadelphia whereas the majority of sixers fans i think try to like him but are also quietly skeptical and then there's another faction in Philly who just like openly are like this dude doesn't have it we don't believe in him and and then so the Simmons believers kind of amplify that crowd of haters and act like every the whole world is against Ben Simmons but by and large i would say like 70% to 80% of the Sixers fan base are with Simmons But he's kind of tough to cheer for sometimes. Like you talk about the Barkley shade coming out of, I believe it was game five. Barkley was on inside the NBA and was like, hey Shaq, did you see uh, Simmons tonight? Another triple single for him. (laughs) And Shaq just was like, Shaq could not believe it and saw the stat sheet and just started cracking up live on TV. And so that's where we've been with Ben Simmons, playoff Ben Simmons.
1: And if they win game seven, which I'm not really anticipating them doing, he has to deal with Giannis. That's his reward for all of this. So it could be mm. could be a, a rough fortnight for our buddy Ben. Well,
0: listen up, Sixers fans. We have been wrong on this series at literally every turn. <laughs> and I believe Ben, hey, ben Goliver just picked I said, the Raptors in down, seven. Slow down, slow you, down.
1: You're doing this Royal We thing. You got a mouse in your pocket. I said the Raptors would win game four. When you were freaking out and, and doing the whole apology tour, I said we went too far mocking the Canadian fans, the Raptors would win mm-hmm. game four, and they did.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that came after us burying the Raptors for twenty five minutes and saying that everyone on the roster is a fraud well, outside of Kawhi. That's what
1: you said. But, I was I was trying to be a little bit more moderate.
0: Oh, I don't know. Um If anything, anyways, I was criticizing
1: Kawhi more than uh their supporting cast. And I think there's still a lot of talent there. You know, I, I think that people kind of overreacted to their one like collective no-show in this series i think for the most part if you're kawaii i mean accepting that one loss aren't you relatively pleased with the amount of help you've gotten from guys over the course of this whole series like i didn't feel like there was that many eggs being laid uh,
0: well, to to be clear, though, you were trapped in an airplane in Austin, Texas for like most of tonight, which was another no show from literally everyone outside of Kawhi. Kawhi is still great and is kind of shockingly so. But um, everyone else like Lowry has moments on offense where you're just like, man, what are you doing? What happened to you? He just is. And actually, Chris Paul has had a couple of these plays in the Rockets Warriors series where he's just like openly playing for the foul because you it's clear that he doesn't have any alternative and it's kind of a bummer and then and Gasol just kind of like disappears for long stretches as well and so I think you're being the,
1: overreactive. You wouldn't have said this after the the previous game where they run them off mm-hmm. the court. Everybody else shows up, you know, they're at home. They look like a juggernaut. They look better than the Bucks. At least for 48 minutes. So, you know, you're saying you're wrong at every turn. Maybe it's just because you're spinning. Your your head is spinning. You're just like doing 360 circles all day long. You know
0: what, man? No, it's not our fault. It's certainly not my fault that one of these teams disappears in each of these games, okay? (laughs) Here we go, finally. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, So I'm not taking any blame for any of this. I thought I was going to, like... A heated game six tonight, and the Raptors were down 15 by the middle of the second quarter. So, yeah, we are where we are right. with these teams. It's
1: definitely a fraud off. There's no question.
0: Yes. Um, and yet, you know, there's still enough talent where, like, I think they could at least make a Bucks series interesting i don't think the bucks are going to come through and like sweep either of these teams um hey
1: guys what's up this is ben Golver with a message from mattress firm the only thing better than watching your team win is a perfect nap and mattress firm's president's day sale lets you get a king mattress for a queen price or a queen mattress for a twin price for savings of up to $600. And you can take home a free adjustable base with a qualifying purchase. But you have to hurry. The clock is ticking on this sale. It's ending soon. Isn't it time you saved and slept like a champion? Shop now. MattressFirm.com. MattressFirm.com for the President's Day sale.
0: But with that said, let's move to the most interesting series of all. Because rockets warriors is getting really really real jonathan asks if kevin durant doesn't play in game six and seven are the rockets overwhelming favorites to win this series i don't think overwhelming is right whatsoever but are the rockets favored right now what do you think that uh,
1: i think they're going to be strong favorites to win game six i expect them to win game six um, I was really impressed with Golden State's re- re- uh, response in the fourth quarter. Obviously, Steve Kerr, I mean, he looked like he was drunk off a champagne bath after that game. I don't know if you heard him. He was dropping F-bombs, like soccer references, like he was going all in um, yeah. because of how well they played down the fourth quarter.
0: Yeah, Kerr was on one in a big way after that game, which was a little bit concerning to me, honestly, because the emotional high coming off that game they like they still need to go win another game and it's going to be really tricky i don't blame anybody for feeling very fired up in that moment but um i'm worried about No, they were fired up because they've been playing a game
1: of chicken man like they were out there standing on the railroad tracks waiting until like one second before the train was about to hit them to jump off you know that like game that you're never supposed to play and all children should never do that um Mm -hmm. that's pretty much how they're treating this series and they were scared you know like they were going all you know after games three and four no panic no panic no panic kevin durant goes out the entire building was terrified the team looked shook in the third quarter there's no question about it and it's amazing that whenever gold state pulls a rabbit out of their hat isn't clay thompson always involved like isn't he the guy? guy's like where's clay been for three games all of a sudden bam five three-pointers right when they need it right on schedule uh, that crazy mm-hmm. play to close it out where Uh, you know, he, he commits just a heinous pass that should be a turnover 99 times out of a hundred and it winds up coming back to him for the layup to seal it. Um, I thought the story of that fourth quarter, Steph deserves the headline. No question about it. He called it a breakthrough. He finally really put together a strong stretch for the, really the first time in this series, I thought extended stretch of like, you know, a level play from him. But it was the collective. It was him. It was Clay, like I mentioned. It was Draymond bearing that three-pointer. It was Andre Iguodala locking up on defense and and making some timely shots and and, uh, really smart passes. And it was like you could see every single one of those four players... Just picking up little aspects of Kevin Durant's responsibilities, like picking up some of the stuff that was on his plate, and saying, "Okay, I'm going to do this." Okay, I'm going to do this. Steph runs more pick and roll. Draymond's even more active defensively on the and on the glass. Clay's got more shots, so he can you know uh, step things up from three point range. Andre, Andre Iguodala's is on Harden more because Durant was you know taking some of those reps. Um, it was really fun to watch their collective response to that game and the Rockets even though they weren't the team that sustained the injury, their heads were spinning too. Like you could tell, like mm-hmm. after the game, even they didn't really know what had happened. Like if you go back and read the transcripts from their press conferences or watch the video, it's literally just guys being like, I don't know. Like, I I don't know. Like I'll have to watch the tape. I have no clue what happened. And, you know, it was that kind of a chaotic environment. The crowd came back in a big way, obviously down the stretch. Uh, but those were some scary, scary moments and they all had this just look of like gleeful relief after it was over, but I don't think this series is done. You know, to me, I think it's going to go seven, um, and it will be a dogfight. That's my prediction. And you're insisting that I'm wrong lately in in terms of calling things. So we'll see if I get this one right or not.
0: Well, um, I don't think you're going out on a limb by saying that it's going to go to seven. We shall see. But I do think that we are underplaying exactly what happened in Game 5. Steph was struggling throughout that game. It was a continuation of what we had talked about earlier in the week. And that was kind of a continuation of our theme of victories for Team Gulliver, where it was Kevin Durant's team, et cetera, et cetera. I still believed in Steph, okay? My faith was wavering at points in this series. But I did text you midway through game five and say, look, take KD off the floor and I bet you Steph would not look nearly as washed as he does at this moment in time. And that was like midway through the third quarter. Then Kevin Durant gets hurt the entire basketball world stops. We should probably talk about that as well because whoa, one, like, whoa, whoa, that whoa. was just a crazy sequence. Are you letting
1: what? me blame you for injuring Kevin? Did you you had like a, a voodoo doll <laughs> no, over no, there no. and you just pricked him I in the back of the leg? I did
0: not injure Kevin. The bottom line is Steph came back Ugh, and played his ass off tape. down the stretch. He, no, he, Steph deserves a ton of credit. And I think when you talk about how great the Warriors looked as a collective down the stretch, We'll see how they look in game six and game seven, but uh, it's a testament to the way the Warriors have always been great and some of the things they've been getting away from as they lean more heavily on Durant. And it was just really impressive to see them be able to kind of flip that switch in the moment and go right back to what they've been doing for the last five or six years and, and have it work as well as it did.
1: Yeah. Uh, so a couple thoughts. Uh, first of all, I mean, this is terrible. You're trying to spike the football while injuring one of the best players, not if not the be- best football. player in-, in basketball. I mean, such poor taste from you. Um, uh, Steph's response was great. I don't think I buried the lead. I actually think I said his name first before I said everything else as part of that collective. Um, but I also think it's very telling about how poorly he's played in his playoffs, where he has one good quarter, goes out there, scores 12 points in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden he gets hailed like it's the second coming. Like I understand we've all been waiting for it, and we've all been denied what Steph can do because of the, uh, the way they've set up their offense, like you mentioned. It was great to uh-huh. see. But it sure would be nice to see him perform a little bit more consistently throughout this series. And that's one reason why I'm still a little bit nervous and the, why I think that game six and game seven, to me, uh, this is sort of like the moment of truth for Steph, right? Because ultimately, they didn't win this series based on that fourth quarter. As excited as they were, um, as relieved as they were, as amazing as it was to watch them kind of bounce back from just a horrible in game situation, rally together. Yeah there's still work to be done. And that was their message uh, once kind of the the emotions settled a little bit. I mean, they, they kept coming back to that theme of like, hey, the series isn't over. You know, we've got to finish the job. And more than anybody else in the whole series, that pressure falls on Steph. If Steph is not an A in game six and game seven, and I guess technically, he only needs to be an A in one of those games. Um, they will lose the series. You know, I mean, Houston yeah. is coming in with better health. They haven't been clicking on all cylinders. Uh, you know, Chris Paul's kind of been uh, a shell of himself, or not quite what we hoped for. Eric Gordon got off to a little bit of a rocky start. <laughs> that, to put it mildly, I think he missed his first like eight shots. Uh, you know, in Game Five, so. Houston has its own questions but to me like this series is now defined as Steph Curry's moment of truth they're not gonna
0: have KD whoa whoa, whoa 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 wait a second it's also James Harden's moment of truth here because this is what was so heartening about game five and we'll see where we're headed from game, game six and game seven but I in that moment as Steph was wavering like I was seriously like maybe the universe is conspiring against me and like Every take I've ever had is being disproven this week, and not only did Steph show up and take control of that game when the Warriors were really teetering on the brink there, but James Harden was basically invisible in the fourth quarter, and that, like, the Harden stuff, man, I don't know what you can say at this point, but there are just times where you're just like, are you here? what's the deal come on now that was an opportunity to knock the warriors out
1: see that was the part where i thought people went a little bit too far because first of all james harden's been a consistent beast this entire series i mean he's why houston's still in it uh and he has been far more consistent than steph and yet his you know quiet quarter coincides with Steph's loud quarter and so everybody wants to bring back the same narrative talk it drives me a little bit crazy could he have Mm -hmm. done more down the stretch i think so Did their fourth quarter offense tank? To me, it didn't really. I mean, they lost the fourth quarter 32-27. Like I mentioned, they're on the road, crazy pressure environment. The crowd was going nuts, especially after some of the big shots that various guys were hitting. That's a tough place to play. And there's still a lot of defensive talent on that court that James is dealing with. So I'm not giving him a pass completely for it, but I thought that you know, the no-shows and all that stuff, I thought it was going a little bit too far. They were still executing, getting quality shots, and their offense was pretty efficient. In the fourth quarter, they shot nine for 16 from the field for 56%. Like, that's no joke. You know what I mean? They had seven assists on nine made field goals. Like, it. it, I just think it was pronounced because of, like, Steph's hero comeback that, okay, now Harden has to be the villain. I don't think that tells the the full story of the whole game because if you're saying, okay, the first three quarters, who was better? Uh, Harden versus Steph it's no contest and if we were going like quarter by quarter for this whole series and saying okay who's won more quarters wouldn't Harden probably have Steph 18 to 2 I mean come on
0: well the Steph thing is tricky because with Durant out there he has struggled to get into a rhythm and we we've kind of been over that like their chemistry is more complicated than it seems like it should be and we've known that for a while so does Katie
1: move his arms in to reach in on fouls or does Steph do that by himself
0: well, you keep bringing up the Steph fouls thing. Like Steph has been out there 95% of the time the Warriors need him. Has has he made dumb fouls? Sure, but like he that's not necessarily keeping him off the floor, so I'm not sure how oh, much It has really multiple
1: matters. times during the series and multiple times during the playoffs. It's absolutely kept him off the
0: floor or reduced
1: his minutes to more than where they should be.
0: I mean, he's still playing close to 40 minutes, maybe 40 minutes a game in this series. Like yeah. he's he's out there. But Ste- uh,
1: but I mean, KD is playing 46, right? Like, they would want him to play 46. He just hasn't been able to stay on the court. I think he played okay. 33 okay, in game but, two, th- you know, and that was the one where it was really an issue. But he had five fouls in the first three games of the series, and it was an issue every time.
0: Okay. See, this is where the the, the arguments do get legitimately feisty um, because I think you and I just fundamentally disagree on some of this okay, stuff. Well, where, like,
1: okay, so big picture. What grade would you give Steph for his play throughout this entire series against Houston? I think... Th- Including, um, obviously, we're giving him an A-plus for the fourth quarter
0: of of Game 5. But for the whole
1: series, what would you give him?
0: I would give him a B, and I, I would give him an F for the Game 4. that they, or Was it Game 4? No, it was Game 3 that they had won, basically. And Steph was just a complete mess on both ends of the floor. But in general, yeah. what he's doing is attracting a ton of attention, making the right play, and they are running things through Durant. And it's a sacrifice on Steph's part because that's just sort of like what has been best for the Warriors and it's what has been necessary to keep Durant happy not only this season, but or not only this series, but all season long. And so I think there's been a fundamental shift in the way this team plays and we saw things swing back the other direction in the fourth quarter of Game 5 and it worked. And it, it, I don't know whether it's going to continue to work but I think if you're knocking Steph and saying he's taken a step back or the league has figured him out or this or that, like that may be overstating things. And the, the truth of the matter might be that the chemistry between Steph and KD is just a little trickier than we sometimes acknowledge.
1: I think that you're right that the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? But I also think you're being just a little bit generous in terms of your grading. I don't think he's been a B. I mean, I think even if you're factoring in you know, his impact, like you still have to take into account if James Harden shot below 40% for the series or he's shooting something like 30% or maybe even below 30% from three-pointers in the series and he wasn't even the number one option on his team, Like you would be grading James Harden a lot more harshly than that, especially if he's going through foul trouble game after game. And so all I'm trying to say is let's be equitable. Like To me, Steph is closer to, for the whole series, I probably would have had him at a C or a C-plus, I'll bump that up maybe to a B-minus after Game 5. But to me, Harden's been an
0: A or an A-minus throughout this whole series. But do you understand where this gets tricky? Because like when we talk about last year's Warriors-Rocket series, James Harden shot 26% from three. And I have to listen to you be like, no, it's just narrative that James Harden didn't play well in that series. So, like... Steph has not shot twenty six percent from three, and oftentimes his his he's team shot, is better in this when series. He's, he's shot twenty six point oh, three percent from from three.
1: <laughs> he's shot at exactly twenty six percent.
0: Okay, so then will you admit that Harden struggled last year and Steph is struggling this year?
1: I think Harden was better in last year's series than Steph has been in this year's series. I, I would say that okay. Harden wasn't an A in last year's series, but he was better than whatever grade that you would give him. And I think that Steph has a no, chance I, here. I, to that's why I think this is the moment of truth and you can make an argument. It's the moment of truth for both players, but I think ultimately like Steph is still the significantly more accomplished player. I think in most the casual fans eyes, Steph is still a better player than James Harden. At least I would hope that's how people think because he's won two MVPs. He was unanimous MVP. He changed the entire freaking sport and his peak was really, really high and he's not that old, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, he's still 31 years old. Like he should be, you know, delivering on this high level. So, uh, you know, to me, I think it it goes both ways, and I just want you know, let's call them equally. That's I just I'm wanted saying.
0: to go both ways too, okay? And it, and if you go back to the way we talked about last year's warriors Rocket series, I wasn't crushing Harden on the way out of it. I was I was congratulating the Rockets for playing their ass off defensively, and Harden did what he could under really difficult uh, circumstances because he was getting a ton of defensive attention, and he has been mostly great in this series. I did find it a little peculiar watching him in that fourth quarter with the Rockets. I mean, that was like a, a great opportunity for them to just like deal a potential knockout blow. No, it was there to... for the taking.
1: There's no there's no doubt. But it's so fascinating how this is flipped, right? Because James was robbed of Chris for the last couple of games of that series and now yeah. Steph is robbed of KD for the last couple of games of this series, right? So It's
0: going to be wild. There's a yeah. real argument I
1: mean, that Steph's game is actually better suited, like sort of the way he plays within their system is better suited to losing that supporting cast member than James is, you know what I mean? Because James already mm-hmm. has such a ridiculous burden because they don't move the ball as well as a team because they look to well, him for everything. Well, the Rockets
0: just don't have as much firepower as the Warriors do. I mean, like James Harden last year when Chris Paul went out, Spent the the final two games of that series kicking to like PJ Tucker and Trevor Ariza and and throwing lobs to Clint Capella like there wasn't that much there and it was just a tough situation for them and and they fought pretty hard given the circumstances the Warriors will have a little bit more but they still only have five and a half players and like I'm shocked that they haven't been more exhausted or looked more exhausted in some of these yeah. games well it's, and and it's Houston's, really
1: not, Houston's not running out real deep either I mean our guy Austin Rivers who we were hyping up in the last podcast went minus 20 and uh you know didn't ha- didn't have anything yeah. for them in game five on the road so I mean it's definitely become the war of attrition that we were describing I guess I'd put it like this If Houston does not force a game seven, I will be disappointed in Houston. I will be disappointed in James Harden individually. If Houston loses in seven on the road, I will assume that that means Golden State stepped up and uh, they did what they had to do. And I will not hold that against uh, Harden. I will not hold that against the Rockets. I think there's a lot of people who will. I will understand that because of the opportunity they've been afforded. But I think that actually undersells what Golden State still has to work with. Now, if Golden State loses... The series in seven i'm not sure i would hold that against steph but it would make me start to wonder to go down that road that you were describing earlier about like hey wait a minute like you know what's up with this guy like really where is he it would make me think about those questions again because i still think they've got they should be viewed as the favorites in this series because they have home court advantage because they have two shots to do it mm-hmm.
0: yeah well it, it, it's a great opportunity for steph it's a great opportunity for harden um and and i think honestly the stakes are so high that like we should just table it until next week when we can come back and, and see where the chips actually fall because like it did, the, the implications on both sides are just kind of crazy to think about. And, and that's even before you think about the, the Durant injury and what that could do to the playoffs if he's out for any extended amount of time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's all on the table for both sides here, and it's it's actually like I, I cannot wait to watch the game Friday night. Well, I can't wait can to I, watch a can potential game Can I flip that question
1: seven. around for you? If they if Golden State loses in seven, will you be disappointed in Steph?
0: Um, potentially. I I don't I don't know. Isn't it still I mean, like I hard have...
1: to wrap your mind around the idea that Houston, even <laughs> with Kevin not playing, is going to go into Oracle and win that game? I mean, you know, like isn't that still like hard to just picture in your head?
0: Yeah, but it's also like that's before I look at Steph kicking to Jonas Jerebko and Alphonso McKinney and some of the guys that they're going to have to lean on are like real eye-openers where you're like, whoa, okay, so this is a game (laughs) six or game seven of the Western Conference semifinals, biggest series of the playoffs basically. And um, the supporting cast just really is not the same outside of Draymond, clay and steph and draymond by the way has been phenomenal i mean like that dude no, looks awesome. like he's in great shape he's the only hey, guy who doesn't look like he's tired andrew
1: right would you rather have him or al horford <laughs> <laughs> well oh, that was hilarious all those people in that poll i feel so bad for them hey uh
0: ultimately the original sin that led to all of our tension was you characterizing me as a draymond hater but yes um hey we're all the, good. the other
1: argument in favor of steph though i mean look i mean they're they're in command of this series right now at least you know from uh the numbers standpoint but he's also like well below his averages on shooting right so like even if he just gets back like even just gets to average golden state should look better than they've looked at during at times of this series so i think that's one other reason for hope too is like Harden is base i'm not saying he's played perfect he hasn't been an A plus there's been games in this series where i've had him at like an A or an A plus level but uh-huh. the gears that he yeah. has to game go four up
0: to was it A plus game 3 was an A minus game 2 was a B plus and harden was was great for the first three quarters in game 5 and like it just is going to be a question of like can he deal the knockout blow to these guys because that's the that's the deal with the rockets like they're built to short circuit the warriors and they they have a real shot in this series But none of this is gonna work if Harden doesn't bring his own A game. And that's why like it's it's awesome to think about. It's and it's sometimes stupid to boil basketball down to something this simple, but like it does kind of come down to Steph and Harden. This whole playoffs has been that
1: I mean it's been Kawhi versus Embiid, right? Or Kawhi versus Jimmy if Embiid hasn't been healthy. It was Giannis versus Kyrie. I mean, the whole playoffs has been just like superstar battle, as simple as it gets. I've been loving to watch that play out. I think if I was Mike D'Antoni, the thing that would be keeping me up at night is we have not seen Steph's best yet. We saw it for a quarter. If this guy comes out and rips off eight threes, which he can do at any given moment, um, that will change the whole series and that that will suck the life out of the Rockets. And I think that that's probably why I still stick with golden state. I originally had them in six, but I think they're going to win in seven now.
0: Okay. And, and here's all I ask is that we acknowledge that with the series hanging in the balance and Golden State looking like they were totally screwed when when KD went out and it looked like he was going to be out for we didn't even know but from certainly the end of the, that game it was winning time and Steph showed up in a huge huge way and that was really impressive
1: yeah and I just my amendment to that is it wasn't just him he was awesome. I'm not trying to take anything yeah. away from him, but all four of those guys, those core four guys all stepped up huge. And even Looney, who we haven't mentioned, was like pretty darn big in that fourth quarter too. And so I think that if you really want to go the Steph Superfan route, you should say that all of those other guys stepped up because they saw Ste- Steph step up and they wanted to like yeah, live up well, to his. Uh, the,
0: the ball started moving again, and you know everybody started playing a little bit more free, and that's when the Warriors are at their best. Um, but we'll see if it continues. Because I, I don't know honestly, if I agree with that part, but okay. <laughs> yeah, well, agree to disagree. We're going to revisit this after Game Six and Game Seven because. It's just wild where we are right now with this series, Um, and I hope Kevin Durant comes back healthy. That was the other thing that I just wanted to mention. Like, you were at the game. Did you have this experience? I mean, you were probably like dealing with sensory overload because you were in the stadium, but like sitting there thinking about the implications of of a ruptured Achilles for Durant and what that would mean for like him for the entire league it to me really underscored exactly how important he has become and he really is the the best basketball player on earth right now and it just would have like a, a cloud would have been hanging over the league for the next year because of that injury
1: yeah my mind went some interesting places first of all it was absolutely consumed with like just empathy for him because this is clearly the best two or three weeks he's played of basketball in his entire life i mean it's been incredibly dominant really really fun to watch i mean the mastery the level of mastery has been like lebron-esque in terms of just every little detail he's done right uh offense defense passing reading defenses hitting big timely shots everything has been there it's all kind of come together and it's been years in the making and Mm -hmm. obviously we know he feels underappreciated and this was like the moment where people were finally giving him his due right so of course exactly
0: I mean I swear to god I've heard like a dozen different really respected NBA people say Kevin Durant is the best player in the world right now and that's like kind of what he's been looking for for three years and it's been cool to see it all click and fall into place. For him and just to have it derailed, thankfully, it looks like he's gonna be okay and there's not any kind of serious season threatening injury, but um, it's still just kind of unbelievable to think about,
1: yeah. So, the timing really like you know made me think that the second thing I thought was like going back through his injury history, he's had really really good health, other than the three foot surgeries that cost him most of that one season. Uh, he has had remarkable consistency. He's only missed two playoff games previously in his entire career. Uh, you know, LeBron of course has never missed any, but it's like that's just like that typical. You know, LeBron is the best, and Katie's always second best, right? Like he's you know, LeBron has a hundred percent of a uh, postseason appearances, and Katie's at like ninety eight or something. You know, um, yeah. But uh, so. I was trying to think, well, what's this team even going to look like without him out there because he's been playing so many minutes and they're going to have to use like four or five different people to just even sop up his uh, his spot in the rotation. So my mind went there for sure. Uh, the legacy stuff was less focused on him and more focused on the Warriors because they have been so dependent upon him that my initial gut reaction when it happened was like, these guys are really screwed. Uh, and like you mentioned, you know, Steph flipped that on its head uh, with the fourth quarter breakthrough, and he deserves total credit for that. Uh, but they're not out of the woods on that one yet. In terms of free agency and who's going to play with who and all that, my mind didn't really go there because he's still a max guy coming off an Achilles for as many years in any team that he wants. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like. Well,
0: so I understand that, but I did start to think about, okay, so if Durant is injured and signs in July, and this is all – now, completely hypothetical, but it was just kind of like the gravity of all of it was was kind of shocking. Like, if he signs with the Knicks and is out until February or March, like how would the world even react to that? And it would just be so it would be so deflating compared to what we may have instead, where he signs with the Knicks, the Kawhi goes somewhere, like the whole league is reshaped overnight, and um, and that will be kind of thrilling, I think. But um, well, I I'm, I'm just my, my counter on I'm that, glad would that be, we still have that to look forward to. Right,
1: right, right. My count on that would be like whenever LeBron's a free agent, like the whole world waits for his decision and then all the dominoes fall. Like remember that one year where he dragged it out and I was like mm-hmm. at summer league waiting on like, you know, 15 days into July, like LeBron, like, please like tell us you're going back to Cleveland so everybody else can sign. And like literally there was no signings for like a week as everybody yeah. waited. I don't think it's going to be the same deal with KD, right? Like, I just think that everyone's going to have uh, his own strategies, whether it's Kawhi, Kyrie, they're going to have their own plans. And so I I wasn't totally convinced that all the dominoes were going to be relying upon him, um, you know, being healthy or not. I think it was more just like, okay, well, whatever team takes him on is going to probably be tanking that season, letting him recuperate all of next year. And then like coming back the following year, which would be just awful for their fan base like we won free agency but like we don't get to cash the check until a year later you know right Um, it'd be terrible yeah but it also in my mind it kind of was like well this could be the end of this golden state warriors run officially like much more quickly than we expected and you know still and that's still
0: in play frankly right
1: it is and uh it was kind of the the wake-up moment though when he went out it was like oh wow like they could actually lose this series because let's be honest before that injury they were up 20 points in that game they tricked off so many possessions they were driving me absolutely nuts and actually at one point Curry had such a bad turnover before Kevin's injury that Steve mm-hmm. Kerr like Punched the air like he was Muhammad Ali on the sideline. I don't know if they showed it on the television broadcast. He was irate, like freaking losing his mind on the bench. And then they like five seconds later, they had another turnover where Draymond passed the ball straight out of bounds and Kevin wasn't paying attention uh, on an inbounds play. And Kerr was just like apoplectic. And I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, they're still beating these guys, you know, playing so stupidly. Like, yes, their talent level is still so much higher than everybody else that they're just kind of messing around. Um, huh. and that's I thought that was gonna be just like the worst possible wake up call for all of them. And instead, you know, they're just kind of this charm team that's that snuck their way out of it and now they have to do it one more time and they'll probably be in, in decent enough shape to to welcome Kevin back in a week or two and they'll be okay.
0: Yeah. It's uh it's gonna be very interesting. And you mentioned the LeBron thing where the whole world waits on him. I don't know if that's going to happen with Durant this year and that is one of the wrinkles we don't have to talk all about free agency right now but it's like the Anthony Davis domino may fall early and and before the draft and like that draft week and um and that will shake things up before anyone else even gets a chance to on July 1st which will be pretty wild and that will be i, I think a, a number of those dominoes will fall into place next week at the lottery and we will have a much better idea of what's possible going forward i cannot wait we're both going to be in chicago we'll probably be podcasting from a courtyard marriott it's gonna be epic um but for now, don't shout sound too out excited. To... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. A lot of travel here.
1: Hey, Andrew, guess what? Today's episode is brought to us by Pro Flowers.
0: Let's do it. Today's show is brought to us by Pro Flowers. Don't forget to thank the real pros this Mother's Day, because where would you be without your mom? And honestly, if you've been listening to the podcast. For the past week or two you should have already purchased flowers for your mother and mother's day via pro flowers but if you haven't by some chance it's not too late pro flowers is an easy way to let your mom your spouse or any mother in your life know that you care you can choose from a variety of bouquets and unique vases that suit every mom's style simply select the delivery date you want which should be mother's day this Sunday, get it done as soon as possible. Ben, tell me a little bit more about Pro Flowers.
1: Pro Flowers carefully packages your flowers and delivers them fresh from the farm. Express delivery means her flowers stay fresh. Right now, get one dozen assorted roses for nineteen ninety nine. Double the roses and get a premium vase for just $9.99 more. Visit proflowers.com, click the microphone in the upper right corner, and enter our code Open Floor. That's proflowers.com. Click the microphone. Promo code floor. Mother's Day is May 12th, so don't wait. Order like a pro and get this amazing rose deal to thank all the moms in your life. And Andrew, you mentioned how they should order for Mother's Day. But you know what I like to do every once in a while is just What's randomly that? order them, you know, like maybe like a month after, set a little reminder, like a month after Mother's Day, send some flowers to mom. She gets them and she's like, why'd you get these for me? And you could just be like, you know, every every day is Mother's Day. You know, you earned them. You've been great this year. <laughs> I, let me tell you, that will go even further than Mother's Day flowers. If you, if you want to like keep score and you'll get your, your brownie points from your parents, just try it out. Little tip from me to you.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's risky business because you still need to get some sort of present for Mother's Day uh, proper. (laughs) Look, it wasn't
1: a plan to skip Mother's Day, okay? What I'm saying is (laughs) 1999, use the promo code OPENFLOOR. Buy those flowers, okay? Then a month from now, do it again, Yes, and you're the double man. double
0: back, and then you are like the the world's best son um, or best husband or whatever it may be. The bonus flowers absolutely go a long way. Uh, but, Ben, home stretch here. Let's talk. I do want to answer this one question from Scott who says, guys, let's talk about the sons of Danny Ainge. Kyrie just served everyone poisonous Kool-Aid and ruined everything. I don't care what it means for the future. If you're a Celtics fan, you're an idiot if you want him back. And I just want to say, now that the dust has settled, the Celtics have officially lost, Kyrie Irving finished that series going 4-of-18, 8-of-22, 7-of-22, and 6-of-21. Is that good, Andrew? In the middle of that run, (laughs) he literally said, Who cares when they asked him about his shooting numbers? And I just, he's honest to God, my favorite Boston Celtic of all time. What an iconic run for coffee shop Kyrie Irving. And put 11 in the
1: Raptors. Got to get up there right next to Havlicek and Bird. Hey, can I tell you, though, this goes back to our our conversation about the earlier podcast where we had to scrap the tape because it was so ugly like you uh-huh. can, you doubled back on the second time of taping and owned a bunch of stuff and one of the things you owned was I was the,
0: not not owning things in the in the first one just to be very clear we were just arguing back and forth to a degree that would have been uncomfortable to listen to you
1: no know, it was uncomfortable to participate in but what i'm saying is <laughs> you really stepped it up and you just threw yourself on the you know on the fire or the grenade or whatever that phrase is one of the, But you by you owning Kyrie Irving, it actually completely ruined the experience of watching Game 5 because that should have been the player-hater's holiday. I mean, that uh-huh. was soda commercial basketball at its absolute finest. I mean, could he have cared less about his team's success in that game? It was a pitiful performance. Hero ball shots, I mean, not taking care of his teammates. I mean, they got completely lambasted. Giannis again, you know, Giannis Inc. stock is soaring. I should be loving it. But because you did not double or triple down on your Kyrie Irving standing, I couldn't I couldn't enjoy the experience, Andrew. It like robbed the moment from me because I was like, you know what? He already kind of agreed that like Kyrie wasn't the guy and he shouldn't be the number one option. And it just the whole thing fell flat. So even yeah. I tried to like work up the muster, the courage to write a whole column about how he needs to divorce the Boston Celtics. My heart was in the column. I encourage everybody to, uh, to read it. But just know that I wasn't as gleeful. I wasn't sitting there like cracking my fingers and typing like with a maniacal smile on my face like I had hoped to be <laughs> because you own so much of your Celtics uh, takes uh, on the previous okay. podcast.
0: Well, keep that standard in mind if Harden uh, s- strikes out over the <laughs> the next two games, okay? Just keep that in mind. But as far as Kyrie is concerned, he has, I think that the story is a little bit more complicated than what's being told this week. No one necessarily wants to hear that. People have the knives out for Kyrie. He is also maybe the least sympathetic superstar in any sport we have right now. He's kind of like basketball Jay Cutler, which is probably a reference that you don't get. But he, um, I think if we actually want to seriously diagnose what's gone wrong with the Celtics, there the the trade situation probably created some toxic dynamics because of the Anthony Davis rumors. Kyrie was a problem, and then the talent just wasn't good enough. And so throw those three things together, where Kyrie should have made people better, and that's where I, I actually agree with you because there's a there's a way to tell this this Celtics story where you say. You know what? A lot of people are conflating character concerns with just a basic lack of talent, which I don't think is true because I think like the chemistry stuff was real also. But I we shouldn't discount that like some of the talent was overstated as well, and so the, well, the, like it was the chemistry concerns
1: storm. were very real. I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to disagree just because of the way that it played out. Look, if they had lost in five games to Milwaukee Milwaukee was just the better team Giannis was just the best player on the court Boston puts up a heck of a fight game after game after game and they're just not as good they play hard they play together they just they just get beat by a better team I would be very sympathetic to this idea of, like, let's spread the blame out. Let's say, you know, Danny overplayed his hand with some of the trade talk. Brad Stevens didn't adjust as well. Uh, The role players didn't show up and all of that. But when you look at how they lost, not just the fact that they lost, but how they perform, guys quitting on each other, Kyrie shirking all responsibilities, shirking the offensive system, not, you know, playing with his teammates, going out there and shooting as poorly as he shot and not adjusting... I have a harder time spreading the blame out in that scenario. You know what I mean? Because of the way it happened, not just that it happened.
0: Yeah, but like we can't say that the Lakers fractured because of the Anthony Davis stuff and and say that like, – because basically the a lot of the same stuff happened to the Celtics where that was a team that was not together and was not necessarily bought in. And a lot of those guys don't know whether they're going to be in Boston next season. Which like I think there's kind of a direct correlation there. You could blame some of it on LeBron. You can blame some of some of it on Kyrie, but some of it is just like the business of basketball. And I don't blame the the Lakers for trying to trade for Anthony Davis. I don't blame the Celtics for realizing that Al Horford is getting old and they have to make their own play for Anthony Davis because that's their path to a title. But like the byproduct of that is is kind of interesting because it does affect real humans, all of whom are like 21 and 22 years old and did not really thrive under those conditions and so look it
1: always comes back to touches shots and money okay i mean almost all the time it comes back to those things both those teams were influenced there yeah well that's what i mean by money too right like you want to and you know responsibility within the offense and, and you know being somebody who is being built around and valued long term and all of that um and of course there was you know some some good comparisons to be drawn between those two teams but boston wasn't injured with half their rotation, right? They, they played some really nice stretches of basketball during this season. When the pressure turned up, they didn't turn it up. They, they cracked. cracked. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they not only did they crack, did. they quit on each other. And that's, again, yeah. why I go back to Kyrie so much on the leadership stuff. And if somebody wants to double back and say, you know what? That's on Brad, too. He needs to have a team that doesn't quit on each other. I say, OK, you know, if we're, if we're going to dole, dole out blame for people who haven't really gotten a lot of it, I would circle Brad there. Because he's gotten well, a lot of credit as a coach say, for years. And his team quit on each other. There's no two ways about that. And he came out afterwards and kind of owned it. He was like, look, they were better than us, point blank. Like, we were not good enough. And he also said he wasn't good enough. Yeah. I love that he owned that responsibility. And I think it was very telling that Kyrie's message was, who cares? While Brad Stevens' message was, I need to be better.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that. I. it's true that Kyrie did not necessarily strike a, like, personal accountability tone i the only thing that i would add is that this was a a really tricky situation for anyone to try and lead in um but Kyrie sucked to an unbelievable degree
1: don't you notice how nobody was making that argument though like two months ago like did did we really hear that argument about boston's like oh you know danny and all the trades and stuff like i feel like that was that that one snuck into the conversation pretty late
0: yeah Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's invalid. Like, I think that, uh, the story of the Celtics has been a lot of people ignoring a lot of red flags every step of the way, because on paper, even in this book series, they had a lot of advantages and reasons to, to believe in them. Um, but ultimately what happened here is like when the bucks were pushed, they kind of banded together and were galvanized by Giannis and there was no galvanizing force on the Boston side, which is part of your point. So, oh,
1: beautifully said. Here's a more interesting question for you: If you're Kyrie, what do you do?
0: Because oh, I mean, this guy's
1: this is he's gonna be licking his wounds for a month. You remember how LeBron, like after they lost that title in 2011, he like hid inside for like a month and didn't want to talk to anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, it's that kind of a reputation shaping loss for Kyrie. Like maybe not on that level of losing a finals where everyone expects you to get your first title, but. This was his first shot as the main guy. Everyone's looking to him to deliver. It's a serious challenge, and he completely blew it. I mean, in every direction, right? So how does he rebound from this personally? Who would you sign with? What would you be angling for? What's your thought process going into the summer?
0: I think one of the things that has been driving Kyrie all along has been—and people are probably sick of us talking about Kyrie and the Celtics, so we'll move on in in a few minutes. But one of the things that has been driving him all along has been that he regretted promising that he was going to stay in Boston. And halfway through the season, he looked around. Gordon Hayward was half the player he was supposed to be. Tatum and Brown weren't as good as they were supposed to be. And he began to have second thoughts. And then as he regretted—and I I was told this, but he— as he regretted what he had promised Boston, that's when some of the media comments began to like go in a weird direction and he began putting up this sort of moody facade where he was brooding for like three months there, Kyrie's blue period. And I don't know how real that is. And, and it's one thing that I wonder about whether like is he just giving himself cover to leave? Because now it certainly seems like everyone in Boston will be fine if he leaves, um, and and that sounds may like be you're where describing player
1: end. tanking, Andrew.
0: I I think this may be our highest profile example of player tanking in NBA history. Well, second, and
1: because there's Kawhi Leonard, a significantly better player who that's
0: well, <laughs> did that. Kawhi did. Uh, yeah, it depends on who you ask on the Kawhi thing, but they as far as what I would but love to see. But media attention,
1: yeah, number one for sure. So let me hop in on that because uh, I I definitely think he's right to regret saying that. And people will say all you do is uh, crush Kyrie, crush Kyrie all day long. He's better off without the Celtics because of what you describe. Yeah. Hayward's injury and contract situation, Horford's age and the fact that he's going to need to get paid. And then his fit with those young guys was just not good. And I don't think this is one of those. And like, that's not one where you can come back next year and be like, Hey, Jason. Hey, Jalen. Like, let's try this again. Like, that's going to be hard to run that back. Right. So I think he's better off without the Celtics. And if he leaves, I would be the first person to say, good job, Kyrie. That's a good decision. Now, if Kevin leaves Golden State, as everybody assumes, if he goes to the Knicks, I'm not going to be saying, good decision, Kevin. I'm going to be saying, dude, what are you thinking? (laughs) You're going away from the best organization in basketball. This is a bad idea. With Kyrie, even though the Celtics have a lot of the stability, the history, the kinds of things that I value, good coaching staff and right on down the list. I just don't think it's a very good fit for him right now. He's a big part of the problem of why, but I think he should leave Boston.
0: Yeah, and and in Kyrie's defense, and this is nobody wants to defend Kyrie right now, but all I can say is I don't necessarily blame him for stepping forward in the first week of October and saying, we're going to be contending for titles for the next five years. Absolutely, I want to be here and getting kind of carried away in the moment. And then I also don't blame him for turning around four months later and looking at what the Celtics actually had and beginning to have second thoughts. I think that's natural and it's unfortunate that he didn't have people around him saying in October, like, keep your options open absolutely do not commit publicly (laughs) that you're going to be a member of the Celtics for for life. Don't Uh, don't throw
1: his posse under the bus here because every NBA player I've ever met has people around him always saying that thing, right? Like unless you really want to be there, if you're the rare player like a Dirk or a Damian Lillard, where you literally don't want to be traded, everybody around you says don't say anything because we're trying to get you to LA or New York so you can make more money.
0: Okay. Well, so to answer your question uh, in the, in the bigger picture, where I want Kyrie, I want Kyrie and Kawhi on the Clippers next season and I thought about this. My ideal off-season scenario <laughs> is the Knicks win the lottery. The Knicks trade Zion to New Orleans for Anthony Davis and sign Kevin Durant and then it's KD and Anthony Davis next season in New York. I'm not sure who they would bring in to play point guard in that scenario. Because the third prong of my offseason dream is uh, Kemba Walker going to LA and playing with LeBron because I don't think that he's going to get anybody any better than that. I don't want to see LeBron and Jimmy Butler play together as much as I've loved what Jimmy Butler has done over the past couple weeks. Um, and so that's kind of where I am. Another wild card to consider is where Al Horford ends up uh, and then... Other than that, I, like I want, I want Clay staying in Golden State. Do you have any thoughts, any off-season dreams?
1: Uh well, if, if, after all of this talk about trying to get Katie and Kawhi in LA so I can cover them, if I have to deal with Kyrie next year, that would be the ultimate move <laughs> by the basketball gods, wouldn't it? And yeah, I mean, it would also be a great test of the Clippers' culture because it's in a great place right now. Like, would they be able to survive Kyrie? That's a, a pretty open question. Hey, you mentioned the Lakers though, real quick, and I, I know you love to get in on the action where everybody else isn't you know you're always looking for those like the, the undiscovered corners the places where no one's paying attention to and and trying to argue things that nobody else is arguing um, can I interest you in some uh Rob Polinka stock right now because if you really want to no. be different from everybody <laughs> no. else you could come out and say hey Rob Polinka is uh, very savvily navigated the Lakers front office drama. He's got himself in a position of power and he's about to put his stamp on the organization. And 99 out of 100 people would call you an idiot. And you could be proven correct. There's a possibility that that happens. Do you want to do it, Andrew? No.
0: <laughs> that First of all, that's not what I've ever been doing, okay? Like the Celtics had a legitimate chance to beat the Bucs. Standing for Rob Palenka would be the craziest shit in the world right now. I would, I would honestly... If I it's no did crazier
1: that, than D'Angelo Russell, I mean, come on. I
0: would at. I've never. At, that's been a bit for three years. Okay, <laughs> I'm sick of that being brought up as as evidence <laughs> against me. Okay, stop. The Lakers situation is amazingly bleak right now. Literally, the fans are planning a protest outside the Staples Center on Friday, and they should be. Like this is embarrassing to a degree that i don't think is totally appreciated because like most nba media is busy covering like actual playoff teams over these past couple weeks but it should be noted that when magic johnson stepped down the prevailing takeaway from smart nba people was that you know this could actually be healthy for the lakers because it's going to force them to take a long look in the mirror and realize that they need to restructure the entire organization and do things in a much smarter, healthier way. Yeah, and they looked in and, the
1: mirror, and then Kurt Rambis and his goggles looked back.
0: Exactly. Like, Kurt Rambis and Linda Rambis are in the bathroom staring into the mirror with Jeannie Bus, <laughs> and it's just like, yo, how is this really happening? This is the most decorated franchise basketball has and it's being run into the ground. They might actually hire Jason Kidd. They were trying to force Tyrone Liu to have Jason Kidd on his staff. You have gotta be kidding me. I just can't believe this stuff is real. And again, this is like a blue chip property. <laughs> like this should not be allowed to happen. I I'm on I'm just speechless. I don't know what to say about the Lakers at this point.
1: All I know is if the basketball karma like we've been describing this whole podcast is gonna play out. Kyrie's going to the Clippers, Jason Kidd's going to coach the Lakers, and I'm going to be saddled with both, and I'm going to just be (laughs) so upset for the next 12 months.
0: Well, and it's not even that fun anymore, because like, and this is where I've been with the Lakers for several years now, where everybody tells their Lakers jokes, but like, I actually just want the Lakers to be good. We already have the Knicks to make fun of. We don't need two versions of the Knicks on opposite coasts because all the jokes kind of get played out. Like, LOL, Lakers. Uh, like, we get it. I just want them to be good. Like, this is the, the last couple years of LeBron. It would be a lot more fun to have LeBron in the playoffs on a team that doesn't have its head stuck up its ass. But, like, here we are, I guess. <laughs> so, um, we'll see where we go. I Kyrie on a, on a rival in L.A. would be pretty entertaining. Although, Kyrie... True to form, most frustrating superstar on the planet. The coolest thing about him was his feud with LeBron and he spent six months trying to pretend that he's friends with LeBron now. So maybe that wouldn't even be a selling point on that one. Yeah,
1: he lost. He or he learned so many things from LeBron, didn't he? About leadership and, and what it takes. <laughs> that was another great chapter in the Celtics season that we can bid adieu to. Andrew, thank you very much for this conversation tonight. I needed it. It was a tough day. I'm glad we could put the pieces together after a, a tough week. Good luck going Wait. back into Toronto, though. Okay, because I know you're going back there. S-
0: speaking of Toronto, I want to end with one email before we sign off here. Okay, this is this is from Ryan. Before you subject, do though,
1: did you did you pack your coat?
0: Uh, believe me, that is on my to do list. Okay, I'm taking my <laughs> winter jacket. It is supposed to be 45 degrees and rainy all weekend. Uh, so here we go. Shout out to the the half ass credit card machines that I'm going to have in my life for the next couple days. But um, Ryan says, Here are 24 stressful minutes that I had to endure as a temporary Raptors fan. On Sunday afternoon, I went over to my partner's parents' house with the intention of asking her dad for his permission to marry his daughter. He's an immigrant from China, and he loves the Raptors because they have Jeremy Lin. I had to try and tiptoe around the fact that he doesn't play at all, but I digress. Anyways, I had to watch the entire second half of Game 4 with him before I could ask him for his daughter's hand in marriage, so I really needed a Raps win to butter him up. I mean, he was always going to say yes, but I knew that the high from a playoff win would make the conversation that much easier. Thankfully, they won, and he said yes, But it was a grueling last few minutes with about 2,000 free throws, and those were some of the most stressful minutes of feigned fandom I have ever had in my entire life. In just 24 minutes, I understood why Raptors fans always think the sky is falling. What a painful team to root for. They deserve all our sympathy, but at the same time, it's just too easy to continue piling on. So... There you go. Congrats to Ryan on his engagement. And thank you, Kawhi Leonard, for coming through for Ryan. And whatever happens with the Raptors this weekend, at least they helped cement this marriage, you know?
1: Yeah, you could probably get some pro flowers for Ryan's uh, wife to be by using our promo code. Open right. Go to proflowers.com. <laughs> uh, are you gonna meet up with them? Maybe you could uh, you know offer some of them offer <sighs> them some tips on married life and how to navigate no uh, no the relationships. just congratulations
0: from afar. I think it would be a little creepy, but that <laughs> was one of my favorite emails we've gotten the entire playoff run. So shout out to Ryan.
1: It's kind of, it's an amazing email. It's hilarious to picture if he had just gone on a different day, like when they got. Run off the court today, and any just... number
0: of Raptors games <laughs> this postseason <laughs> would have been disastrous. it's like so... so. I
1: I know you hate Kyle Lowry right now, and you're probably like workshopping, you know, Photoshop memes to like post on Twitter, just like every other Raptors fan. But just, can I
0: marry your daughter? Is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know you're regretting the three and a half hours you just committed to this miserable basketball team, but. I envision a lifetime with your daughter that yeah. is going to be great.
1: You're proactively burning your Kawhi Leonard jersey because you're sure he's gonna leave in free agency. <laughs> By the way, can I be your son-in-law?
0: <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, Ben, take it easy. Good luck getting to Houston at five AM tomorrow morning and get ready for game six Friday night. That is gonna be wild. I can't wait to see where Raptors were no, where Warriors Rockets goes. And Raptors, Sixers, to a much lesser degree, but uh, let's do it, man. We'll, we'll check back in next week.
1: I'll do it, guys. i sorry to say that the uh, you know the the lantern on Instagram got sidetracked by the frog stranglers here in, in Texas. I think that's what they call the storms down here. Hopefully, we'll be back next week, assuming no other further travel delays, and we'll get back on that grind. So follow me on Instagram at Ben also, they can check us out and draw on Apple Podcasts by searching for our page. It's open floor. That's two words. Find the page, scroll down. There's a section that says rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy and don't forget even if you're not getting married like ryan you can email us openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com keep those great questions comments concerns travel horror stories and everything else coming to us we're also on the world famous radio.com slash hey andrew until next week after we've had the moment of truth for steph curry and james harden I will talk to you.
0: Wow. The stakes are out of control. By the way, I was laughing because I really can't believe that you plug your Instagram at the end of every single podcast. You are the best. I will talk to you soon. I
1: got 2.6 million followers now. So what do you want?
0: (laughs) You know, all part of building the open floor empire. All right, man.